to Acts 19, Acts 19, verse 11 is where we will begin reading. coming in. Last week I did not highlight it, uh, but Paul finally made it to Ephesus. You recall back at the uh, chapter 16, uh, at the end of his second missionary journey, uh, Ephesus was an area that Paul was originally forbidden to enter, to minister there. And that was during the Latter or the first part of the second missionary journey, and then on the return trip, he finally arrived in Ephesus and uh, left after just a little while there. They asked him to stay on, and he told them in chapter 18, verse 21, I, I will return to you if God wills. Well, it was God's will, and last week we talked about Paul's interaction with the 12 Ephesian disciples that he encountered there who had been influenced by the followers of John the Baptist. Now what begins is a almost a three-year ministry here in Ephesus, which was a very strategic capital city there in Asia Minor. And here's what happens next, Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt up, leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. May God bless the reading, hearing, of his holy word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts today. Well, we are celebrating Reformation Day uh, next Saturday, uh, which is the 31st. That was the date when Martin Luther did his thing. Many people will be celebrating Halloween that evening. Uh, and for some, this will conjure up images of witches and ghosts and ghouls and vampires and monsters and demons and all kinds of evil spirits. So it's timely uh, here that this week that we are studying these particular events today that occurred during Paul's sojourn in Ephesus, which was a capital city uh, 
and it was a commercial center, but preeminently it was a center of pagan religion and occult practices. The imperial cult cult flourished there. There were three temples in Ephesus at that time that were dedicated to the practice of worshiping Caesar. But the pride of the city was the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana, as it is sometimes called. And that building was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, I've been there. I've seen the ruins of it. There's one pillar that archaeologists propped up in the center of the field of, of stones and rubble, massive area that it covered. Because of the prominence of those two cults, the imperial cult and this cult that worshipped Diana, we'll see more about that in a couple of weeks. Uh, because of that, there was a, a tremendous amount of occult groups and practices that flourished in the city of Ephesus. In fact, it had such a reputation that even William Shakespeare... In one of his plays, A Comedy of Errors, he has one of his characters, Antiphilus of Syracuse, say this about Ephesus. It takes place in Ephesus, and he says, They say this town is full of cozenage, which means, I had to look this up, by the way. I didn't just know it off the top of my head. They say this town is full of cozenage, deceit. As nimble jugglers that deceive the eye, dark-working sorcerers that change the mind, soul-killing witches that deform the body, disguised cheaters, prating mountbanks. Mount, I had to look that one up too. A mountbank is a quack who sells uh, you know, potions and you know, these people who stand up on the side of the street and say, buy uh, this potion and it'll, it'll cure anything that you have. So these prating mountbanks were there and, and many such like liberties of sin. So uh, the reputation of Ephesus had carried over Well, this is a thousand so years later. So Ephesus was well known for its involvement in the occult. Ephesus was filled with all kinds of spiritual darkness. And the end of our account here proves it. Uh, In verse 19, when the people who had been converted to Christianity, they bring many of their books together and burn them in the sight of all. These would have been books full of magic spells and things like that. The value of all those books that they burned were 50,000 pieces of silver, which is an obscene amount of money, suffice it to say. Well, a couple of things I want to point out here today, three things that I want to point out to you today uh, concerning this passage or that we can draw from this passage. First of all, you cannot limit Jesus. Second of all, you cannot use Jesus. And thirdly, You cannot stop Jesus. So let's look at the first thing that I want to show you. You cannot limit Jesus. Into this darkness of Ephesus, Paul brought the light of the gospel. Uh, Apollos did as well as we saw uh, last week and the week before. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were there. So there were people there bringing light into this very spiritually dark place. Verse 8 tells us that he was reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. People were hearing the word of the Lord, the word about King Jesus coming to earth to die for sin and rising from the dead victorious over sin and death. And Paul was calling people away from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. And God, it tells us here, was backing up this word with some extraordinary miracles. Look at verse 11. It tells us there that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God was doing this. Now, that, uh, there is an important phrase in verse 11 that is translated with one word. Uh, it's translated with the word extraordinary. And this is the only occurrence in Acts of this word and the phrase in which it is contained. The phrase literally says here that God was doing miracles not experienced. That's, that's the literal translation of it. And the phrase here means something extraordinary that's not probable, that's unusual. And they're applying that to miracles. Now, miracles by definition are extraordinary. They're not ordinary. If miracles were ordinary, they wouldn't be miracles. Uh, you know, they would be ordinary things that happen. But a miracle is something extraordinary. It's out of the ordinary. And in this case, what was going on is something beyond that. These miracles that God was doing through Paul were beyond the normal miracles, if you can even say that miracles are normal. These were extraordinary, extra extraordinary miracles. They were very unusual signs, and they were sent by God to support the Ephesian ministry. There's no indication anywhere that they happened in other places. Uh, there's no indication that, that Paul and the others who were preaching the gospel expected these things to happen. So why? Why did God use these extra, extraordinary miracles in Ephesus? Things like uh, handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin, being carried away to the sick. You know, I assume that Paul continued his tent-making work to support himself there at Ephesus. And he would have, you know, probably worn some bandana or something to, to keep the sweat out of his eyes and an apron uh, to, to keep himself uh, maybe from getting filthy and the leather and such that he would have been using. And people were taking these things to the sick and to those who had evil spirits and it was touching them and they were being healed. Extra, extraordinary things that were happening. Now why? Why in Ephesus was God doing these things? extra, extraordinary miracles. Now, and, and this is my opinion, and I think I have a good argument for saying this, but in my opinion, it's because of all the occult practices and demonic activity that were going on in Ephesus. See, Paul is coming, announcing the kingdom of God, as we just read in, in verse 8. He's announcing that there's, a, there's another kingdom that's been in, that has come into uh, into your, their experience. There's a new king that he's calling the Ephesians uh, to submit to. Now the Ephesians had all these demonic powers at their disposals. Those scrolls that they burned, uh, they have a name called the Ephesian letters. I wouldn't recommend looking it up because it'll take you to a bunch of witchcraft sites. But Ephesian letters is a well-known thing. These scrolls uh, that many ended up burning in verse 19 contained spells which consisted mostly of gibberish uh, a rigmarole of words and names that were considered to be unusually potent 
They were arranged in specific patterns which were essential to the efficacy of the spell. You know, in Macbeth, since we're on Shakespeare a little bit today, in Macbeth you have some witches in that story that say things like eye of newt, toe of frog, wool of bat, and tongue of dog, and they weave it all together, you know, boiling, boiling, toiling, trouble, and all that business, those incantations that they make over their, their pot as they brew it up. This was the kind of thing that you read about in these scrolls. This is the kind of thing that was going on in Ephesus. They went to a lot of trouble to try to harness these demonic powers for their use. Well, God comes in with his, with his kingdom, and, and Paul's announcing it, and, and God is showing that his kingdom is far, far, far more powerful than anything that they have ever experienced. They have to go and make sure they've got the right uh, amount of eye of newt. In God's case, they just have to take one of Paul's dirty sweat rags and take it, and someone's healed and an evil spirit is gone. So God is much more powerful than these, these uh, witches and occult followers. Why did God do it this way? He was trying to get their attention. This is the kind of message to which these Ephesians who were steeped in occultism would be able to hear. God is reaching out to them through Paul. He is sending them a message. He's trying to get their attention. Isn't it amazing the lengths to which the Lord will go to save sin-enslaved people? He's done it for us. He sent His only begotten Son into the world to die for sin, our sin, so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And he's applied that in your life through different circumstances and different means. As we, as the session of the church, hears people's testimonies about how they were converted to Christ, I'm struck and amazed at how varied are God's ways in which he works in people's lives to get their attention, to bring them to himself. Truly, God's love knows no limits or bounds. What's the Lord doing to get your attention today? And are you paying attention to Him? Second thing we want to see today. You cannot use Jesus. These extraordinary things are going on through Paul as he preaches the gospel there in Ephesus. And in verses 13 through 16, we read about the seven sons of Sceva, who Sceva undoubtedly, is, he's described here as a high priest, but he was probably not a high priest. He may have been of a priestly family, but he's in Ephesus for one. He's not in Jerusalem. And this was probably how he advertised himself in a, in a town that had all kinds of people advertising all kinds of of spiritual guidance and help for demonic uh, possession and, and sickness and, and all the things that people are trying to find healing from, Sceva was saying that I'm a Jewish high priest and I have, a, I have a name that I can take up, which you know the Jews didn't even pronounce the name of God, his proper name. And so there was uh, some mystery behind it and, and certainly would have been attractive to, to some people. So he had seven sons, and, and these guys were uh, itinerant 
exorcists. They went around casting out demons, surely for profit. Well, they saw how effective Paul was, so they thought they would try the latest thing and, and use the name of Jesus to cast out evil spirits. The story's kind of funny in a way, because here they are, you know, trying this newfangled thing, and, and, and they end up getting beat up by a guy and, and running down the street naked. Uh, quite a, an odd-looking scene in the Bible. Well, uh, we have to understand some things about this. The name Jesus, uh, you know, it's not a common name to us, but it would have been a common name in those days. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. And, of course, Joshua is a, is a common name to us. If, if we were in a Spanish culture, uh, the, the word Jesus, the, the, the name Jesus is the same as Jesus. That means the same thing. Uh, so you get the idea. This is, Jesus is a, is a normal name. It's not just any old, I mean, it's, 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 it's a, a normal name that people have. And so when they speak to the evil spirit, they want to be specific about the Jesus that they're talking about. So they say, I adjure you, evil spirit, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They don't really have a relationship with Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're just using it like it's a magic spell, taking up Jesus' name. Uh, They were trying to use Jesus to harness his power like like it was a magic spell as if the name of Jesus was automatically powerful by just the breath passing through the voice box in a particular way. Well, clearly they don't understand the gospel, the real power that Jesus brings. The power that Jesus brings is the good news of what he's done for sinners. And to know that personally is where the power comes from. They say, I command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches because they themselves do not preach or present Jesus. The demon says, in in effect, well, I know Jesus and Paul, but who the heck are you guys? And he jumps them. See, there's nothing mechanically or automatically powerful about the, the sound of the name Jesus. They're just trying to use Jesus as if it were magic. Magic power depends on two things, external conditions and their exact manipulation. So if, you know, your spell calls for three toad's legs, you don't put two toad's legs in or four toad's legs in, you put three in and you say the perfect words and if everything goes according uh, right in your uh, magic spell, then it supposedly will work simply happens. Magic is then just a matter of pushing the buttons and following the steps and the rules to the letter. And then the power is supposed to come automatically. It follows laws predictably. The sons of Sceva were trying to, to use and manipulate Jesus in this very way. But he will not be used or manipulated. But so many people are just like the sons of Sceva today. They try to use and manipulate Jesus. We do that by thinking, many people think, that following a list of instructions, a list of rules, uh, a list of of morals, that that will automatically obligate the Lord to grant them salvation. Some people think that simply by saying the words of a sinner's prayer will guarantee eternal life as if it were some magical incantation. Well, I 
I went down and I said the prayer and, and it, maybe it hasn't affected their lives whatsoever after that. But trusting in that is just like trusting in a magic spell. Or here's another way that we can try to use and manipulate Jesus. Maybe you think, Lord, I did this and this for you. Why did you let this bad thing happen? Or you get angry at God and think or say, God, I deserve better than this. I've done these things and you owe me. Or you think, well, what did I do wrong that God has allowed these bad things to come into my life? And, and what buttons can I push to, to get God to change it? Sometimes people treat tithing that way. You know, I'm, I'm having financial problems, so, uh, you know, you should tithe. I'm, I'm, I want to qualify that. And we need you to tithe. But, just by, but if you think, I'm going to tithe so that God will bless me financially, you're going about it the wrong way. God loves a cheerful giver, somebody who wants to, to give to the Lord, not to try to get in return. That's using the Lord. That's trying to manipulate Him. That's trying to use magic on God. See, the efficacy of Jesus' name lies only in the understanding of what Jesus came to do. It's the gospel of, which, of Jesus which is powerful. Romans 1 says, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we use the gospel of the good news of Jesus on our lives, it cleanses and transforms and heals But Jesus' name has no second-hand power. It only works first-hand when it's appropriated into, into a person's life through personal understanding and commitment and having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to encourage you today. I want to ask you today, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Or is he someone you're just trying to manipulate in order to bless you or to give you power or to get something else that you want? A relationship with Jesus is what matters. And without that relationship, you are powerless against every enemy that you have. The world, the flesh, the devil, and death. Only Christ can free you from those enemies. Now finally, and quickly, you cannot stop Jesus. We see here that that gospel message that Paul proclaimed that I'm talking to you about it transformed these people's lives. It changed their lives living in that dark spiritually place, that spiritually dark place that was so full of demonic and evil spirits, demonic activity and evil spirits. These people, uh, as they witnessed the, what God did and as they experienced it firsthand in their life, it says that Fear fell upon them all, verse 17, and the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and they burned their books as scrolls, as we already have mentioned. Paul took the gospel into the darkness of Ephesus, and it tells us there at the end that the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord uh, increased 
and prevailed mightily. Now there are many adversaries in our world. Reasons why we might throw up our hands and say, oh, well, we just need to give up. There's a lot of discouragement in our, in our times as we look around in, in our nation, in our state, in our town, in our church. But we don't give up because you cannot stop Jesus. You cannot limit Jesus. You can't use him. We should go and take the light of the gospel into the darkness and see that it changes lives. Jesus will change lives. Look at the result of Paul that Paul had, that God gave Paul. He was willing to go there and to meet that darkness head on. And the result was that Jesus was feared. People had an awe and a reverence and respect for Christ. They extolled him. They they magnified his name and they repented of their sins and turned to him. You see that as they came and, and, and uh, burned their scrolls. It, it showed that they were wanting to change their lives. They're not going to go looking for that power that changed life in, in magic or these occult practices. They're burning it and saying, no more, never again. And that's the attitude we need to have as we turn from sin and turn to Christ to that personal relationship that the sons of Sceva did not have. They didn't know Jesus. They had no clue who he was. They were just trying to use his name. But those of us who come to him and, and, and turn from our sin and turn to him for salvation, he invites us to have a personal relationship with him and walk with us. And we can share that relationship with others because anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He is powerful to save and to change lives, to change your life today. So let's pray to him together. Father, we do pray that you would change our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to turn from our sinful practices. We pray that you would help us to embrace you in a deeper relationship. Forgive us for the times that we try to use and manipulate you and uh, try to call the shots when you're the one who is sovereign and in control. Lord, we pray that you would help us to grow uh, in, in our relationship with you. Thank you for the great lengths that you have gone to redeem us from our sin and bondage and misery and from death itself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.